Welcome to the RSP Film and Theory. Joining me as always, Adam Harstead. I'm Matt Waldman. You can find us both at footballguys.com during the season and in the offseason as well. You can also find me at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, mattwaldmanrsp.com. You can get that for $21.95 um, right now, and, or at least pre-order it, and it'll be available April 1st, and then also one week after the NFL draft for your, uh, your dynasty rookie and redraft needs. All right, so today, Adam's put in his um, data to basically log his breakdown of the rookie wide receiver class for 2023 and you know has some really interesting results in terms of how these players um you know fare compared to the historic um data that we've seen and you know that we've also seen so we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about so tell us a little bit about the model for those of us who you know aren't as familiar about it where they can find it this year at football guys when that's going to come out and uh you know we'll dive in yeah so um we're going old school today this is about the only piece of like truly original data or analytics i produce so today we are the uh as a throwback we are the film and data podcast once again um so i noticed um probably about 10 to 12 years ago uh, when Pro Football Focus was kind of doing their thing early on, that um, their yards per route run statistic wound up being um, kind of a pretty good statistic. It had a lot of base validity. Like, the problem with receiver efficiency statistics is that most of them aren't, aren't really measuring efficiency. Efficiency should be unit of production per unit of opportunity. Um, a lot of people like yards per target um, because they're saying that the target is the opportunity for the receiver, but um, that's really not quite right. You know, if you have five receivers running a route, the guy who gets the target is the guy who got the most open or the guy who earned the quarterback trust. It's more of a unit of production than it is a unit of opportunity. Um, the route is the unit of production. And, and Pro Football Focus said, you know, we need to do yards. Instead of yards per target, we need to do yards per route. That's the real production per opportunity. Um, and, it, you know, it's, like, really satisfying in theory that, like, yes, conceptually this sounds right, but, you know, like, how does it work in practice? Um, and I noticed pretty early on that, like, yeah, this actually seems to be producing pretty good results. Um, so I kind of kept an eye on it over the years, um, and I noticed the tendency is that, you know, rookies who cleared the 2.0 yards per route run threshold as a rookie, they almost always went on to have just phenomenal careers um, when they weren't, like, derailed by injury. Um, like, Hakeem Nix and, and Percy Harvin both looked like superstars and then got injured and never really lived up to the potential, but, but by and large, um, the list of guys who cleared it was like a who's who of, of fantasy stars. Um, and it included some pretty interesting names that you wouldn't think of as guys who had great rookie seasons, like Doug Baldwin, who was an undrafted free agent, but he still cleared 2.0 yards per outrun as a rookie. Um, and so I would I'd talk about it over the years. And then a couple of years ago, I said, you know, it's time to sit down and actually like do something with this. So I built a model um, that evaluates receivers after their rookie year um, basically based on, on two terms. And the first is their yards per route run, or actually it's um, a touchdown adjusted yards per route run. I give them 20 point bonus for every touchdown. Um, and the second is their usage rate, which I'm doing um, the number of routes they run per game divided by the number of passes their team throws per game. So it's basically like what percentage of the time 
when your team is dropping back to pass, are you on the field? Um, and it weights uh, the efficiency term, the, the touchdown adjusted yards per route run twice as strong as the usage term. Um, and it kind of puts them on the same scale and then um, does that weighted average. And um, I don't really know what I was expecting when I put it together, um, but it winds up being just like really delightfully predictive um, even ignoring like draft position, like you get the guys who are drafted late, who show up high on this metric also turn into stars predominantly. And the guys who are drafted early, who show up high on this metric turn into stars and the guys who are drafted early, who, who, um, go up low on this metric, um, they're disproportionately busts. So there's a lot of face validity to it, which means like you look at the list and you ask, is this list telling us what? what we want it to be telling us um, and it does appear to be so i've been running it for the past couple years now and i just entered um it's it's easily my most requested feature of the year i just entered the 2023 rookies um so how it's set up is that uh, a score of 100 is perfectly average among all the qualifying rookies that's everybody with at least 250 routes in their rookie year since 2006 which is as far back as i've route data um, so if you score 100 that's basically saying you had an average rookie year among the qualifiers. I mean, there's a lot of guys who like only ran a hundred routes who like really a hundred above average for all rookie receivers, but it's, it's average for the guys who are actually getting serious playing time. Um, and uh, higher than that is better. Lower than that is worse. Um, just as a face validity check, the top four seasons since 2006, according to this are Odell Beckham Jr. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown. Exactly the guys we think of when we think of having phenomenal rookie seasons. Um, and all four guys who went on to become not just stars, but superstars in the NFL. Uh, so I put all of this year's rookies in um, and, and graded them. Uh, and I guess if you want maybe the place to start is I can just run down all the rookies and say what they scored or um, you want to talk about specific rookies or how do you want to do it? Yeah. So first I want to ask you a couple questions about your process and then we can and then we'll move into and then I would love for us to just talk about the the top. You know, you've got 22 guys listed here on your uh, on Twitter that you can you can find here or at least actually I see listed. You've got more than twenty, less than twenty-two guys. You got your top twenty it's guys. Nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. Nin okay. Yeah, we had we had nineteen who qualified. Yeah. Technically eighteen, but Marvin Mims was five routes short of the cutoff, so I threw him in too. Okay. So we'll yeah we'll do that. We'll kind of go in reverse order and give some thoughts on some of these players and work our way up to the top of of the board. Um, but I guess first thing, like you talked about touchdowns and giving an added bonus to that. So, you know what, what. Tell us a little bit more about the rationale for why you're doing that, and because some people will talk about touchdowns being a a hard to predict stat, right? Like so, so how does that play into this in a in a way that creates the logic that you that you have here? So I originally didn't have touchdowns in; I was just doing the yards per route run, and and the model performed really well. Um, Typically how somebody's going to be making a model like this is they're going to be running, you know, regressions. They're going to make a change and they're going to calculate the R squared. You're running a regression. Um, for those who don't know, um, R is the um, correlation between one statistic and another statistic. Um, so for instance, if you look at the U.S. population, there's a strong correlation between height and weight. 
Um, it's not a perfect correlation, but in general, you would expect somebody who is six foot two to be heavier than somebody who is five foot eight. Um, I don't know what the exact correlation is. Maybe it's like 0.7. Um, and R is always a number between zero and one, um, or actually technically it's between negative one and one, because if, if it's a negative relationship, um, then it's, it's, it's a negative correlation. But the closer you are to zero, the more it's saying there's no relationship between these two things. Um, and the closer you are to one or negative one, the more it's saying like there's a very strong relationship. Um, and, and so if you take the R or the correlation between two statistics and you square it, um, you get R squared, which is said to be how much one thing describes the other. So if the correlation between height and weight is 0.7, um, you square 0.7 and you get 0.49. Uh, and so then that's saying about 49% of the variation in a person's weight is explained by their height. Like if you knew just their height, you'd be 50% of the way there to predicting what they weigh, um, which 50%, obviously that's not like that's half. There's still a lot that's unaccounted for, but also like height is a big part of, of this. It's significant, yeah. Right, right. Um, and so typically somebody would make a model like this and they they pick the thing that they cared about you know like say production in years two through four and they'd make various different versions of the model and they check which one had the highest correlation you know oh if i include touchdowns does that improve the correlation does that not improve the correlation and they will um, kind of tune the model to get the highest r and r squared possible you know it's like a little game you're just tweaking here tweaking there trying to get a high score um, i don't really like doing that because what happens then is um, it's something called overfitting, where you're fitting your model to the past data, but you're not fitting your model to the future data that you don't have yet. You know, like if a receiver came in today who was five foot two and just had a phenomenal lights out season, and I'm running R squared, I'm all of a sudden going to find that like, oh, height, you know, like height is now very predictive. But it's not necessarily more predictive. Like I wouldn't expect the next five foot two receiver to come in and be great. Maybe that one guy was just an outlier. Yeah, the six two, two hundred ten pound receiver thing that went on years ago was a classic case of overfitting, um, you know, for the receiver position. Right. So if you're if you're going to do it very cautiously, you can do this testing and trying to maximize R. But it you should make it so that. Um, any extra variable you add should result in very large increases in your R. Because if it's just small increases, odds are that's just due to overfitting. Um, but so I, I try to avoid for as long as possible even running these correlations. And I mostly just rely on face validity, which is you look at a list and you say, does this look like a good list? And so I ran the list without including touchdowns. And I ran the list, including touchdowns, and I looked at the two lists, and I looked at the differences between the lists, and I'm like, does including touchdowns um, improve the score of the guys who were good and hurt the score of the guys who were bad? Does it, t does it generally make this outcome look better? Um, and it did. The reason I used 20 points for a touchdown is because it was calculated um, in the hidden game of football back in, like, 1989, um, the value of a touchdown. And um, if your listeners are familiar with adjusted yards per attempt or adjusted net yards per attempt, um, those are very old statistics for quarterback efficiency. Um, the, and the adjustment in it is they give a 20-point bonus for every touchdown and a minus 45-point um, penalty for every interception. Um, 
because that's what it was calculated as being worth back in 1989. I don't, I, I think with changes in the, the league environment, that's if we calculated the same calculation today, it probably wouldn't come out as being worth 20 points. But 20 points strikes me as one of those like good enough, close enough sort of things. Um, and it's it doesn't make a huge difference. You think about it, like a rookie with 800 yards and 10 touchdowns, like his adjusted yards when you add the touchdown bonus, that's only a t- another 200-yard bonus. Like yeah. a, a huge touchdown season, that's yeah. only a 25% boost. Same receiver with 800 yards and four touchdowns. You know, he's still coming in at like 880. The 20-point the bonus is a relatively small one. Yeah, it's not um, like a good example of that, even though it's not a wide receiver if you were doing it for tight ends. Hunter Henry's rookie year would have, mm-hmm. you know, you would have looked at the number of touchdowns he had where I believe it exceeded Antonio Gates and he was really basically kind of like a, you know, kind of like a sucker fish off of the shark that was Antonio Gates. You look at his composite, it was probably still fit within what his career was like. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the guys who, I mean, again, it's it's kind of a weak signal, um, but like some of the guys who had double-digit touchdowns as a rookie, you have Odell Beckham, Jamar Chase, Mike Evans. Um, Tyreek Hill had a really disproportionate number of touchdowns for the amount of yards he got. Um, and, and there's some, you know, like there's some guys in there who had a lot of touchdowns and very few yards, and it didn't wind up panning out. Um, uh Mike Williams uh, from 2010, Big Mike Williams, yeah. um, had 11 touchdowns on 955 yards, um, which w- that was Tampa Bay Mike Williams. I guess Big Mike Williams was the Detroit Mike Williams. Yes. There's been a lot of Mike Williamses. It's very confusing. Uh, Tampa Bay Mike Williams had 11 touchdowns on 955 yards. Um, so he gets boosted a little bit by including touchdowns in the model. And he's a guy like with hindsight, you know, he was solid, but not really spectacular for a couple of years and then kind of faded off. Um, Christian Watson got a pretty solid touchdown boost last year. And like now with the benefit of hindsight, um, maybe that, you know, like maybe we would have been better off if the model had been a little bit lower on him. But by and large, um, I think including this small touchdown bonus helps the outputs more than it hurts the outputs. Yeah, and I would argue with Watson, we st- we have to see him healthy. So yes, you, you for know, sure. So that's certainly the case. So okay, so thank you for for the explanation with that. And that you know that's awesome because it does make a lot of sense. It gets into the ideas of overfitting that I think is important and gives people an idea a little bit more about RR squared and how that goes. So let's get to some of these players. Let's start off with the bottom of this list. And look at the three players, really the four, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Let's say five players at the bottom of this list. Um, Quentin Johnston, Jalen Hyatt, Xavier Gibson, Cedric Tillman, and Tyler Scott. And just from looking at this list, the first thing that I notice when I watch the, when I look at these players is all of them had multiple quarterbacks to work with on that list during the season. They didn't have a singular starter through the season due to injury or poor play or both. Um, so I find that just kind of fascinating. I don't know if that correlates, but I just thought I would add some color to that list. For sure. And I do think that, um, you know, quarterback quality is going to be a confounder here. Um, but, I, you know, the perfect shouldn't be the enemy of the good. Like the model performs really well. Um, and, and quarterback is not determinative. Um, you look like lots of receivers have posted bad scores with Patrick Mahomes right. or with Aaron Rodgers. 
um, or Brett Favre or like, you know, lots of players have had good quarterbacks and terrible scores. Um, you still have to be pretty good to get a good score. And, and um, there was a lot of this discussion with Garrett Wilson last year that like I, I gave the number and he had, he had a very good score, like he, nothing to be explained away. Like the score said, he's probably going to be a very good player, but he finished um, fourth in the class behind Olave, who had a phenomenal score. Um, and then London and Christian Watson, who both also had very, very strong scores. And then Wilson. And people were saying like, oh, what would this look like if you removed all the Zach Wilson games? Um, and, and I said, you know, first of all, like, you can't, you can't remove the games for Garrett Wilson without removing the games for every other receiver. Right. Like, you can't, that's not, that's not a, a valid comparison anymore. Um, but also, like, you know, it was my most common request. And I'm like, fine, I'll break down and I'll look at it. And I looked at his score in games with Zach Wilson and his score in games without Zach Wilson. And it was like a six-point difference. Like, he did score a little bit higher without Zach Wilson, but it wasn't a huge difference. Yeah. And he ranked fourth in the class either way. Like, without Zach Wilson games, with all his games, or just Zach Wilson games, he always came out fourth in the class in this relatively narrow range. Um, a lot of the perception around Garrett Wilson's with and without Zach Wilson splits is the fact that the Jets threw twice as many passes per game without Zach Wilson. So, like, of course his numbers are going to be higher. He's basically, you know, like playing two games for the price of one. Um, so, yeah, I do think that and, – and I never intended for the model to be like an all-in-one. Everybody's looking for an all-in-one, a single yeah, data point. Well, the model pill. says this, yeah. and this is exactly what it's going to be. It's meant to be a factor to consider. I yeah. often like players more or less than the model suggests. You so know, the model you... liked Watson better than Wilson mm -hmm. last year, and I said straight up, I'm not trading – Christian Watson for Garrett Wilson just because the model's higher on him. Yeah. So who do you like out of this low list? Is there anybody out of like Johnston, Hyatt, Xavier Gibson, Cedric Tillman, and Tyler Scott? And I can tell you guys I like out of that list, but is there anybody there that stood out to you either from watching them or from other from other considerations? Um I was a fan of Tillman and Hyatt, but realistically, like no, I mean this range has kind of been the death now. Um, if it, there has been one good receiver, basically, like like very strong, not good receiver. There's been one like high quality fantasy receiver to emerge with a score down in this range, um, and that was Jordy Nelson uh, back in 2008, who scored right between Quentin Johnston and Jalen Hyatt. And then the second best receiver from this range was Jacoby Myers, who, you know, like he's solid. No knock on Jacoby Myers. He's a quality NFL contributor. Um, he's had a couple wide receiver three type seasons the last three years. Um, but he's never topped 900 receiving yards. And he's the second best guy on this list. And then the third best guy on this list, um, honestly, is probably Nelson Aguilar. Uh, yeah. probably had the third best career wow. of anybody. Yeah, it's bleak. It's yeah. bleak. And and I'm never saying no hope because Jordy Nelson was like Fantastic. a supernova. Yeah. But like if we're talking base rates, the odds of somebody down in this range going on to become like a, a quality fixture in your fantasy lineup, they're very, very, very slim. Uh, if Tillman or Hyatt were available for free, if they were on waivers and I had a relatively deep roster, I wouldn't think twice about adding them and, and hoping. I actually do have Tillman on one of my rosters. It's a deeper roster. Um, 
but I would not really keep my hopes up on anybody in this range. And I think it's a smart thought on that end because even just, you know, when I think about them pre-draft, Jalen Hyde I thought was overrated from the standpoint of that we we didn't see enough from his game to say that he was more than just a vertical perimeter deep threat. Um, and there were little hints of that, but not enough based on the offense that he played in. And it's not that he isn't more than that. He could very well be. I, I like what I see from him in limited tape. The problem that I have is he's likely going to be labeled this deep threat in kind of a Ted Ginn-esque sort of way where there's just not a lot of opportunity for that to generate consistent fantasy production. So, you know, to me, he's the classic best ball type of long shot that you take a pick on because he can have some huge games for you when when he matches up well in, in the game plan. Cedric Tillman, I like the one that you mentioned there too. Um, I think he's a good all-around route runner, but he's really sitting behind Amari Cooper. Like he's the Amari Cooper-esque hopeful to replace that, you know, replace the star at some point. But if he never emerged, but is the type of player that when you have that hopeful trying to replace the, the main guy, if he's not showing it right away and forcing his way onto the field um, in, in place of that guy, waiting two to three years to see if it happens usually doesn't bear fruit because it means they've, they've, they've tended to draft somebody else to replace Cooper at that point because Tillman hasn't done enough. So I, I would agree with you on Hyatt and Tillman as the guys to like, if you can get them super cheap where it's practically free, expanded dynasty rosters off of waivers, you know, and hold on to them each year to see where that goes, I think is wise. Um, Tyler, throw-ins to trades where you would have pulled the trigger without those guys. Um, yeah, you ask the other guy to, like, send their cuts or, like, include, like, if you're sending two and getting one back, you always say, like, hey, whoever you're going to cut, like, just throw it in on your side because it makes no difference to them. They cut them, yeah. include them, doesn't matter. But yeah. I got... Um, I've gotten some good players from asking people to throw in their cuts over the years. Some, uh, Jeff Pasquino sent me Mark Ingram uh, oh, back wow. in 2013 when Ingram looked like a bust, and I got like six quality startable years out of him. So always ask for the other guy to throw in his cuts. Oh, Jersey Jeff, um, there we go. So, yeah. And I do want to I, I want to add two quick notes here, two notes of context. Um, so one known failure mode of yards per route run is it is dependent on personnel. Um, Wide receivers average more yards per route run when there's it, it out of two wide receiver sets than they do out of three wide receiver sets, which makes sense that like receivers are tougher competition for targets than tight ends or running backs. The more receivers are on the field, the harder it's going to be for you to earn the targets, for you to earn the yards, the more likely they are to go to somebody else. So rookie receivers who play primarily in three receiver sets rather than two receiver sets um, are going to have their yards per route run deflated. They will look worse according to the model. This may or may not be a bad thing because like on the one hand, like, yes, this is underrating guys who are third receivers. But on the other hand, like the fact that there's still a third receiver is it's a negative. It's not a death knell, but like if they had managed to become the number two receiver and start playing more in two receiver sets, that would be a good thing. And they should be rewarded for that. Does it so, progressively get worse as we get into four and five receiver sets? Yes. Okay. Uh, the samples are smaller, but I'm, I'm 
pretty sure I'm like 95% sure that like basically the more receivers are more wide receivers are on the field, the less yards per route run each individual one averages. Um, just because again, basically every wide receiver is a, is a threat to, to get the target on any given snap. Whereas, um, you know, in, in a two tight end set, maybe only one of those tight ends is a receiving tight end, a threat to get the target and the other guys kind of just taking up space. Um, so that's one caveat I want to make. Uh, again, I don't. This should not be a silver bullet. If you have a guy that you like that the model doesn't like, you're welcome to like him more than the model. I think the appropriate reaction to a model score being low is, I really like that guy. Here's a negative data point. I'm going to adjust my opinion downwards, um, or or a high model score. It's I I didn't really like that guy. Here's a, here's a count. But you're not going to shut the whole thing down. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you you should always adjust to new evidence, but like the new evidence doesn't have to replace all of your old beliefs. Yeah. Um, and then the other interesting note is, so I mentioned there were 19 receivers who qualified. Uh, we average about 10 qualifying receivers per year. Oh, wow. And the previous record for most qualifiers in a season was 15 players back in 2014, naturally, of course. Like, of course, 2014 rookie class had the most qualifiers. Um, and so that the first thing that jumped out to me when I when I ran the model was just like, damn like how many people qualified like technically 18 because mims was five short i gave it to him but like if i'm being technical 18 qualifiers but that's still a huge jump from the previous 15. um but then when i was looking at it in context the interesting thing is that there were a lot a lot of rookie receivers in this bottom bucket like many many more than you usually see from any one given class um eyeballing it i think the the previous high for receivers down in this range was three um, back in 2019, four back in 2019, whereas this year we have six. Um, so that does suggest the reason we have more rookies qualifying for that 250 route run minimum, um, partly is expansion to 17 game seasons. But a lot of it's it's not that like we had a we had more than the usual number of really really good rookies this year. It's more that. Um, teams were more willing to run rookies out even when they weren't really, really good. Like in the past, like bad rookies just wouldn't have gotten the 250 routes. Teams would have told them to sit on, on the bench and learn and, and get better. Uh, whereas this year, it seems like teams were more willing to throw guys into the fire, whether they were ready or not. Um, I haven't really dug into why that may be, but that does on cursory examination look like that might be at least part of the explanation. Okay. Well, interesting. You know, um, I know we talked about players you know and they're getting older and how teams may have been approaching them playing less we we talked about that maybe something about that plays into what we talked about earlier in the year um but sure. uh, you know so that's part of it but i know wide receiver wasn't i don't remember whether it was wide receiver was impacted by that more or less by that i think it was impacted yeah more. we're getting a lot a lot fewer old receivers yeah. than we usually did it was impacted um, more that's right so it's it, it makes sense that we would see a lot more rookies getting larger roles than than they necessarily would have warranted based on their play alone in previous years. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, with wrapping up this bottom end of the list, I mean, Tyler Scott, you know, another player that kind of got overrated by a lot in the draft community for his speed, but attack of the football. Um, another guy that kind of, I mean, I look just eyeballing it from what I've seen on tape. Um, you know, the guys that I would probably go, okay, well, I may adjust downward or just be a little bit 
maybe not overvalue too much for year two, year three, but I'll still get take them if I can get them at a reasonable price. Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman are certainly two guys I'd look at. Whereas Gibson, to me, was a nice story, but you know I'm not really counting on that lasting. We'll see next year. Tyler Scott's one that I I could see where he might become a more all-around type of player and maybe what the Bears envisioned from Darnell Mooney. But the way that he's used in the offense was more of kind of a kind of a RPO type of option who occasionally got a deep threat target. Little one-dimensional, I would say, more than anything. Almost bordering on gadget. So, you know, yeah, I get that. So then moving a little further up, we've got Quinton Johnston, Trey Palmer, Marvin Mims, and let's add Jonathan Mingo to that that tier, you know, essentially. Um, you, you may have that split a little bit differently, um, but, you know, looking at Johnston, certainly had a couple different quarterbacks. He was often the third receiver in the mix, as you talked about, and uh, couldn't catch the football, you know, which was not really that huge of a surprise it, you know, if you watch the tape with that, but it's certainly a disappointing start for a player who most people would have expected to be in the 100s if they were forecasting this point last year. Yeah, Johnson's another guy where I'm just not completely giving up on, to, on him because he was the 21st pick in the draft and, and draft position will cover up a lot. You know, if you are a first round pick, you're going to get more chances. If he were an undrafted free agent, I would question whether he's even on a roster in a year or two. But yeah. but um, Johnson, the, the Chargers are going to give him more chances to succeed. And when the Chargers move on, other teams are going to give him chances to succeed as well. Um, so I, I am selling for sure if I can get anything reasonable for him. But he's another guy where, like, if he were on waivers, it, like, he shouldn't be on waivers. I would add him. Um, and for context... So here are the guys who were drafted in the top 50 draft picks who scored below a 91. Uh, you had Jonathan Mingo, pick 39, scored a 90.8. Uh, Zay Jones, pick 37. Stephen Hill, pick 43. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr., pick 9. Jonathan Baldwin, pick 26. Uh, Quentin Johnston, pick 21. Jordy Nelson, pick 36. Tyquan Thornton was drafted 50th for some reason. Uh, Paul Richardson, I know I'm... I'm a, you're feeling personally attacked right now. Paul Richardson... <laughs> uh, oh, it's okay. That was a lesson learned, but he was he was a fun player. He was so fun. Um, Nelson Aguilar was 20th. Darius Hayward Bay was 7th. Um, so, like the highly drafted receivers who scored this low, like even given the very high draft position, like what's the best career other than Jordy Nelson, who's, who's the quintessential exception, um, who among those guys wound up going on to have the best career? Maybe Ted Ginn, you yeah. know, he lasted in the league for a long time. You know, maybe Nelson Aguilar um, kind of latched on Darius Hayward Bay, but like I put Richardson over Hayward Bay just as agreed. a stand. I, Although I think Hayward Bay had a had a longer career, yeah. um, he he stuck around a long time, and that's kind of I think like the realistic, not like the pie in the sky Jordy Nelson upside, but historically, 
that's kind of been the realistic upside for this. Yeah, Hayward Bay lasted 10 years in the league, um, mostly as like a wide receiver three, wide receiver four. Like he lasted five years just as a depth guy on Pittsburgh. And um, Ted Ginn kind of bounced around as a return specialist. And it's just not. Yeah. So you're telling even, Quentin even Johnston to save his money and get an education if he hasn't already yeah. gotten one at TCU. Um, yeah. Or get a better one if it was in general studies, which I'm. I'm not putting anything on Quentin Johnston as an individual, more on the college football system and their hypocritical ways of steering people into bullshit majors. Um, and if general studies isn't a bullshit major, okay, I, I apologize, but you know what I mean. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, with that in mind, you know, Johnston certainly has, you know, if he gets the opportunity to play in the Keenan Allen role, as more of a slot receiver running the short routes, which is what he really did best on tape. Um, but what it was highlighted about him mostly was vertical routes because kind of like he he's the Tevin Coleman of wide receivers, in my opinion, in the sense that Tevin Coleman would get 178 yards against Ohio State and a vast majority of and I know that this statistically isn't how you really want to tell the story, but like the vast majority of them were on two runs, you know, like he was a hot, you know, he basically had success on big plays and a lot of mistakes in between on that. Like on, from a film standpoint, he made a lot of just not very good plays, but occasionally he'd have a huge big play with Quentin Johnston. It was kind of that way for him as a vertical guy. He was much better as a, as an underneath player. Um, so if he can fulfill what Keenan Allen has done in, in most of his volume, maybe he has a chance to emerge, you know, outside the swamp of, of his score right now. That's what, that's how I would put it. So yeah. what, what about, you know, Trey Palmer, you know, Trey Palmer to me, when I watched him was kind of more in that Tyler Scott kind of mold, a guy who lots of athletic ability couldn't catch the football well. He looked like he caught it pretty well this year compared to what he did at Nebraska for a couple of years. I mean, I thought he dropped every kind of ball imaginable um, in between big plays. But his score isn't, like, great, but still, considering his draft capital, you know, if he's sitting on your roster in a deep league, you're going to hold on to him and see what you got unless something better comes along. Yeah, honestly, like, I, I don't know that I've ever had an opinion on Trey Palmer other than, like, I was putting in the names, and I'm like, wait a minute, Trey Palmer had 200 rats this year? Like, I don't know that I've thought about Trey Palmer for more than, like, five seconds all year. Um, he was one of those guys I continued to, like, in my replacements column on Fridays at Football Guys, I would I would consistently go, should I rec should I look into Trey Palmer as someone to recommend as a matchup this year? Uh eh, no. But like it, it happened like at least six times during the year where I where his name came up for like five seconds and was like, Nope, I'm gonna find somebody else here because with the, the you And know, he's third, gonna be a guy who's, receiver. Right. Yeah, he's gonna be a guy who is probably hurt more than most by the whole like bias against wide receiver threes and not you know like that's not a knock on him that he's not mike evans or chris godwin there's yeah. there's not a lot of teams that have a top two that is that good um so 
if you want to mentally kind of give them a little bit of a pass for the the low efficiency score, I think that's totally reasonable. We'll get to another name in a little bit where I, I think the same thing. I, I bet you can guess who I'm going to mention, but yeah. um, I don't want to spoil. We'll get there in a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really have any thoughts anyway on Trey Palmer. Yeah. Um, I don't I'm, I don't think I've ever, like, thought about adding Trey Palmer. He just kind of exists, I guess. Yeah, exactly. No offense to Trey Palmer. Yeah, like, just if, from a fantasy if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're a lovely person. I hope you have all the best in life. Uh, but, like, I only have so much mental bandwidth. Yeah, I hear you. You know, Trey, you're you're not yet on the fantasy radar, my man. That's all we're talking prove about Prove me wrong. Here. Please, yeah, please, yeah. please, please prove and, me wrong. And certainly five-star prospect, um, great return player, um, good after the catch. He made some really tough catches this year that I was surprised he made because he dropped a lot of those same types of catches at Nebraska. So it looks like he's kind of working on some things and may be able to continue developing. So you just want to watch for whether the hands remain consistent with this guy. If they do and he continues to get more looks, then he may be one of those exceptions. Um, Marvin Mims, well, look, to, to me, when I look at Marvin Mims, I go, just from the eyeballing it, and I didn't study study him after he, you know, after the draft. Um, loved him pre-draft, but like with the Broncos, what I keep hearing was the narrative, and I kind of bought into that a little bit without heavily researching. Is they just didn't put him on? They refused to put him on the field, and when they did, he made big plays. Like he was he was good in the isolated moments that he had. Well, obviously he had enough routes to qualify, but the but he was technically no, he was oh. he was five short, but I added okay. him anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good so that's good to know because I look at him, he's the guy outside the you know in the bottom half of this list that I look at and go, um, yeah, this is worth noting. But when I worth but from my level of weight, worth noting is more like a feather in this case, whereas maybe. You know, with Cedric Tillman, it might be like a one-pound dumbbell or, a you know, something a little heavier. Um, but, yeah, for Marvin Mims, I'm kind of, to me, noting is more like a maybe a post-it note. <laughs> yeah, but, his his yeah. Um, his yards per route run, if you look just at the efficiency term, it was basically completely average for the sample, yeah. um, which surprised me a little. I, I think he kind of faded a little bit early in the year, like early on or later in the year. Early on, he had like those a couple – big plays, um, which when your sample is small, like a couple big plays are going to skew it a lot. Um, I thought he would show up a little bit higher on the quote-unquote efficiency term. Um, but average isn't bad. You know, like it's not, but you're exactly right. The problem is just that he didn't get on the field. Um, even accounting for the fact that Denver only threw 513 passes all year, um, which was very surprising from a Sean Payton offense. Like it was a, it was just a very low volume passing offense. And he couldn't really get on the field. He gets hurt a little bit in the efficiency for being the wide receiver three and suffering from that wide receiver three effect, sometimes even the wide receiver four. Um, although I will say the inability to beat out Mike Evans and Chris Godwin is not quite as damning as the inability to beat out Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, who are, you know, they're fine talents. They're, they're NFL caliber receivers, but they're not exactly – Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Yeah. Though I would counter that Sean Payton is a stubborn son of a gun who, who you know, and again, this is all narrative. So, you know, please take this with a, a massive grain of salt with what I'm saying here. It's, it's not really a great counter argument to what Adam's saying, but, uh, you know, he's a stubborn son of a gun who also 
seems to be as a coach bringing in his guys because he brought mm-hmm. in a lot of wide receiver retreads from New Orleans and even gave one of them playing time the um, the big former running back out of Texas who he who they had in New Orleans I don't remember his name but he had a stop in in New England but I know that that guy saw the field a fair bit this year too so uh, you know but I will say too um Peyton has not historically been a guy who's shy about giving rookies playing time. Marcus Colston shows up really high. Um, Kenny Stills got a bit of run. Uh, I think Meacham got a bit of run as a rookie. So I don't think it – I will agree that, like, this since the sample especially is so low and he doesn't technically qualify um, anyway, and and I hope to look more into the offseason about, like, the qualifying thresholds and and other ways that I can adjust this for playing time – um, but I do think that the sample is the smallest and the least compelling on Mims. I was just kind of curious to see where he checked in, so I threw him in. Cool. How about Mingo? We look at we look at Mingo and the disaster that was the the Carolina Panthers. Um, you know, thinking I didn't really think Mingo was the type of player that was going to. Well, maybe I was kind of I was kind of split on the idea of him getting early playing time. I'll put it that way. Like. I, I liked what he had to offer, but I thought that he needed more development just from what I saw on film. But he's in the 90 range. He just gets, skates above 90 on your composite score. Yeah, which is, um, if you look on Twitter, I have the thread with like everybody in that range. But just to give some names in that range, um, the five guys above him are KJ Hamler, uh, Mark Lee. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Devontae Adams, Hank Basket. The five guys below him, excluding Mims, would be Zay Jones, Stephen Hill, Ace Sanders, David Nelson, Laurent Robinson. Um, if you're a Mingo believer, I know you. the only name you heard on that list was Devontae Adams. Uh, <laughs> but Adams is not quite a Jordy Nelson-level outlier, but he was, he was also very, very much um, coming from a range like like the the Jordy Nelson range is is the yeah. basically abandon all hope all ye who enter here, yeah. and then the the Devonte Adams range is more the so you're saying there's a chance range. Yeah. Um, I liked Mingo a lot coming in mostly again because you were talking about playing time. Um, I think Dan Hendry noted that before the season started, the only rookie wide receivers who were listed as like full time starters heading into week one it was Mingo. Um, and Reed, I believe, were the only two. Um, and for Reed, that that wound up being, you know, like a, a sign of things to come. Um, I I was expecting, well, I was hoping for more from Mingo, especially given that as one of the starters, he's going to be playing in more wide receiver two sets than a lot of his peers, which should be helping his efficiency. Um, again, it's not quite abandon all hope range, but it's Historically, this has not been a yeah. very good place to land. And the only, I mean, yeah, the thing is, like, his usage was incredibly strong. Like, his his routes per team pass attempt score is 123. It's one of the highest in the samples. Um, it's just his, his efficiency score is just super, 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 super low. Um, like bottom 15 in the sample. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's, and again, we talked about quarterback quality and, and that is something that has to be discussed in this context. 
Um, you know, regardless of what you think of Carolina's quarterback situation in the long term, there's really no arguing that in the short term, it was a major liability. But um, I'm definitely revising my opinion of him pretty heavily downwards through the course of the year. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because when you start looking at what happens, even just from a just a standpoint of how things work out, when you have a bad you have bad quarterback play and your petulant owner fires your coach fires his coach once again midseason and um you know doesn't maybe show restraint with with your starting rookie quarterback when you have a, a wizened veteran like Andy Dalton who you could have put in the game and gotten and gotten more out of now you're just saying you know what let's throw the rookie receiver and rookie quarterback out there and let them drown together behind this shitty offensive line and you know generally that's a recipe for we're going to get a new coach the coach is going to bring in their guys and whoever was the previous coach's guy probably is not going to get the same level of opportunity to compete in the future so if they draft another wide receiver which i would imagine that they do um from this fairly rich class mingo maybe that guy that they just look at and go whatever it didn't work out even if there is a po- there was a possibility there he just gets labeled so he's yeah, in that not big on reclamations yeah he's in he's in danger of being that guy who's like the bathwater the baby being cast out with the bath bathwater i'll put it that way um now let's move on to a, hang on wait yeah. real quick on mingo i was yeah. i was just looking um for some comparable players who scored at least 15 points higher than average in terms of usage and at least 15 points lower than average in terms of efficiency so this would be the the comparable rookie year to mingo list you have um to sharp uh. corey davis uh <laughs> Zay Jones is actually probably the most comparable yeah. player, and they score right next to each other, and they have very, very, very similar profiles. Uh, yeah. Darius Hayward Bay, although he was a lot more catastrophic when it came to yeah. to efficiency, and that's it. Those are the four guys who kind of saw the field at time, um, despite being that inefficient. My favorite, my favorite draft moment when I went to the NFL draft once at Radio City Music Hall was seeing this guy day before the draft waiting in line in a Darius Hayward Bay um, Jaguars jersey. Um, and he was there all night because we went there at night too to see what was going on and pass out football guy stuff. And, um, and then that day I sat up in the stands and he was three rows in front of me in the balcony in Radio City Music Hall. And the minute that the Jaguars picked someone other than Hayward Bay. He pulled off his shirt in protest, threw it on the floor, and stormed out of Radio City Music Hall. And I thought, motherfucker, you waited like all, all night, all day and all night out there. That had to be a very uncomfortable day. And you lasted what, like five picks, five, seven picks. I don't remember when, what pick they had, but you, you didn't even get 10 picks in and you left, you know, and you know, so I, I, and that's weird too. Cause wasn't Hayward Bay considered a reach? Like weren't people projecting him to go and he wanted Hayward Bay to go higher than he did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and then Shoot listening shot, to the guy. people, listen to people in New York talking about, um, talking about, 
you know, football in the, in the in that peanut gallery up there had me laughing. Um, yep, for sure. So, so that said, you know, we got a little bit of a higher tier now. 97, 97.1, 97.5. We've got Jackson Smith and Jigbo at 97.1. Demario Douglas at 97.5. You know, Douglas is actually a little higher than I thought he would be um, on this list. And you haven't, I think you thought, I saw on Twitter, you thought he'd appear higher than he did, and he's actually lower than you thought. And Smith and Jigba, I think we both thought would be higher. I, I thought Smith and Jigba would get to play the Cooper Cup role and he would be among the top three receivers um, this year of the rookie class. I think he showed some real moments, um, but he didn't get real opportunities. His quarterback didn't play quite as well. He was the third receiver in an offense that, you know, that I would say struggled this year as a whole compared to what they did last year. But I, to me, like I look at Smith and Jigba in this, and this is more of again a more of a post-it note moment for me than it is a, you know, an elephant dropping down on my chest. Yeah, and he's the other guy I was alluding to earlier, where yeah. he also is hurt from primarily playing in three wide receiver sets with Tyler Lockett and um, DK Metcalf. That's not really a knock on him. You wouldn't really expect anybody to be necessarily like you can hope somebody would, would dominate targets with those other guys on the field, but like realistic expectations, um, you would think he would struggle with that. His usage was above average. Um, the big problem was just the, the quote unquote efficiency, the yards per route run, um, or the touchdown yards per route run. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful. What you just watch it there, but it's funny too, but you know, when we talk about having receivers like Metcalf and Lockett or Evans and Godwin, you have to think that even if, say, Jackson Smith and Jigba was playing lights out, just the politics with the salaries of these two established players, it would take a pretty monstrous like position shift politically for a team to move on from either Metcalf or Lockett and demote them in terms of the the role they had in the offense. It would mm-hmm. have to be a, it, it's kind of like that Leonard Fournette, Doug Marone dynamic where Fournette, they the Jaguars wanted to get rid of because his contract, you know, was getting a little bit on the heavy side for them. And, and they, they were like, we don't really want to keep paying this guy. He gets hurt. You know, he's getting older. We want to get out from under him sooner. Maybe we should get away from him. Let's open up the competition and let this James Robinson, who's looking good in camp, actually get competition. And it was Marone that asked for permission from the front office for that to happen. But it took asking for permission to have an open competition. So that tells you kind of what a guy like Jackson Smith and Jingby, even as an early round draft pick, first round pick, would have to get is like literally getting Pete Carroll to go, look, I know we're paying this but I need to make this guy the top guy in the way they did with Russell Wilson. So I know we paid Matt Hasselbeck, but Flynn, Russell, Flynn excuse me. Yeah. Matt Flynn, excuse me. You know, say, you know, and I think Matt's Carol's from a guy who's, Bay, you know? who's loyal to his veterans too, which I don't yes. think is, I don't think that's a negative, you know, that I think that's positive because the, the players know that like, if you perform for him, you're going to earn his loyalty. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, with the older school coaches like Carroll, it does sometimes get a little harder to break into a rotation. For sure. So what about Douglas? What were your expectations? Because you had the opposite of me. 
Yeah, he um, he had been pretty efficient. Uh, like, he's one of those guys where I'm kind of monitoring yards per route run through the year, and he's always ranking pretty high. Um, I think he faded a little bit at the end of the year, um, and he's a guy who's hurt um, probably more than anyone in the class by his lack of touchdowns because um, he had zero touchdowns on the year. Uh, like, if you look at just his yards per route run score, that's a 106.1. If you look at the touchdown-adjusted one, it's a perfectly league average 100.0. Um, so, you know, historically, I found that adding the touchdowns increases the signal. The fact that he didn't have any touchdowns um, probably does tell us more than nothing. Uh, but as you know, touchdowns can be very volatile from year to year, and all the usual caveats about this isn't really considering his situation any and new england wasn't exactly the easiest place to thrive <laughs> um but i do think more than maybe more than any other rookie this year i'm trying to think of who else was a rookie this year like he felt like the only decent option on his team yeah. um where he just out compared to the supporting cast where yeah like a, a, a play to a throw to douglas wasn't just the best option it was pretty much the only option to make something positive happen for the patriots so i expected him to score a little bit higher i'm not like shocked shocked that he he's scored a 97.5 we're kind of getting into the roughly average range i would still consider this you know below average and a negative indicator um but like certainly now we're in the point where like you i'm not going to stop liking a guy who i kind of liked just because they're here yeah, if you you know if you were if you were thinking you were going to offer a third round pick for Demario Douglas, now you have a little pause. Um, but you but if you can get him for a fourth or fifth round pick, you'd be sure. like absolutely, you know. So yep. and I think that that's a good good idea. Now let's get into a range of three guys that I think are really fun to discuss because they're not really high on the radar. One is. But two are really not. And that's Josh Downs is the most known guy at 101. You know, certainly he, I wonder what his, I still wonder what it would have been like if Anthony Richardson were there. But, you know, Gardner Minshew is not a pushover as a, he's, one, he's, he's really a, he's the Mason Dixon line between a starter and a really good backup. So, you know, Downs had a good and had an average year. And I'd say for really who was the third receiver, of this group technically you would say he's the third receiver even though alec pierce maybe on on data is <laughs> probably more the third receiver i would still argue that in role maybe downs is more the third receiver he's a he's a fascinating guy i still look at him and i thought he was more like maybe a sterling shepherd type of option who can give you a little maybe it realizes deep threat um, vertical game a little bit more. I know a lot of other people saw him as like Amon Ross St. Brown material. What What are you thinking after seeing this? It's interesting you mentioned Sterling Shepard because uh, Downs scored a 101. Sterling Shepard is just two spots higher at a 101.2. Um, so like according to the model, they had very, very comparable rookie seasons. Um, and, and again, we're getting into a range where there's there's more hits uh, the five guys above downs are Robert Woods, who I would call a hit, uh, oh, Terrence sure. Williams, Alan Hearns, Sterling Shepard, um, who, you know, a, a moderate hit would have been better without injuries. Kenny Galladay. You know, we're, we're getting into the, like, they're hits, but it's complicated. They're not, like, unqualified <laughs> successes, yeah. but there's there's a few qualified successes in here. 
and then the five after him would be Kendall Wright, Nicole Hardman, John Brown, Alshon Jeffrey, and Taylor Gabriel, which again, you know, like there's some qualified John Brown and um, Alshon Jeffrey, I would call qualified successes. We're shouting that out. So, yeah. Um, this is the I, Meryl Streep, it's complicated division yep, of, the, yep. of the group. Profile wise, in terms of like the components of his score, um, it's pretty much as um, anodyne as you could get. Like nothing really stands out. All of his components um, in terms of, of uh, like his yards per route run, his touchdown adjusted yards per route run, targets per route run, yards per game, um, routes per team pass attempt, everything is, is between 100 and 105. So he's just like very, very slightly above average in every single component, um, which you know, that kind of feels like a fair evaluation of his season. To yeah, me. It's, it's kind of one of those things where if you're, if he's on the market, you're probably not changing much of how you value him based on what his production has been and where you think it's going to go. You know, he's so, you know, you're not going to overly invest in him, but you're, you're probably not, you're not getting a discount on him. I'll put it that way. I, I don't think there's enough that's, you're not you're unless you're like a great negotiator who can argue a point that someone's even going to listen to, which is probably unlikely. He is the value of him is is what it is, and you're not going to be able to budge off of that. Now, Michael Wilson, you know, certainly a favorite here. What you know, pre-draft, I saw him as kind of a a Michael Thomas aspiring to be a Michael Thomas type of player, good route runner. Um, has really strong moments with his hands, but unlike Michael Thomas, really weak moments too. Gets injured, got injured a lot in his college career. Thomas has been injured a lot in his pro career, but physical, um, you know, you can see where, why with this little playing time he had at Stanford due to injury, why he got valued as an early third day pick um, and that, you know, he performed well enough in this offense that yeah, I know Rondale Moore was low on your, you know, on your um, model here as a rookie, and I I thought he was a bit overrated coming out. You know, a lot of people saw him as like a Steve Smith type, but there weren't a lot of guys in, in for the Cardinals in terms of wide receivers that they he legitimately had to compete with, but still in name, Dorch was coming off a, a decent year, you know. So you look at Marquise Brown and Michael Wilson, and that was their one-two punch. Wilson looks, you know, I mean, like if you if you thought he was promising, and you you put value in him, I think he's a guy you definitely hold and and see how that goes. Yeah, I think his score is higher than you would expect based on his draft position and and his availability. Um, I've seen him on waivers in a lot of dynasty leagues. Uh, and I, I think we mentioned him a couple times this year where like, yeah, there's some really interesting things in his profile. Um, his usage was among the highest in the class. Uh, his efficiency is slightly below average, but it's not like Arizona had a juggernaut passing offense. Um, yeah, he's it's it's interesting. Uh, the five guys above him, Keelan Cole, Donnie Avery, Jarvis Landry, DJ Moore, Brandon Cooks. And then the five guys below him are actually the five above Josh Downs. It's it's Robert Woods, Terrence Williams, Alan Hearns, Sterling Shepard, and Kenny Galladay. Uh, you're getting slightly more successes in there, and even I would say unqualified successes, where you don't even have to like, you know, like DJ Moore, Brandon Cooks, Jarvis Landry. 
they weren't superstars, but I think they were unqualified successes, long-term starters, quality fantasy wide receiver twos. Um, there's and, and from a our, lot in this profile that that yeah to like. And from an archetypal standpoint, which I'm going to be doing a lot more on archetypes um, in the near future, especially football guys for matchups. Um, Michael Wilson's archetype probably fits in there with Alan Hearns to a degree, and to a degree also Robert Woods is closer in archetype. So is, um, you know, I'm trying to remember who else you had on that list, but those two come to mind. Jarvis Landry even to an extent. Um, so, you know, Wilson, Wilson could end up being a high-volume player um, down the line and that, or at least have a couple of seasons where his volume's strong and that's leading the way for his fantasy production. Now, probably the most fun player on this list, probably overall for both of us, is Dontavian Wicks. You know, Josh, um, Drew Lieberman, the, the wide receiver coach I often talk about, trained Davian, Dontavian Wicks this time last year. He was right me and going, you know, look, I've got a client in Dontavian Wicks who I think could be a starter one day. Like I don't think he's there yet, but I think he has the uh, he has the ability and the and the skills to develop into a starter. And he's worked with guys like Alameda Zacchaeus and Julian Edelman, Mohamed Sanu, a, um, a variety of other players who are more fringe draft picks who work their way onto rosters. He he makes guys draftable or makes guys rosterable. Like, I would say that's what he's really good at and what he's known for, and he'll probably expand his way into that. And and really, I would say my improvement overall with receiving, scouting receivers, I credit a lot to, to the work that he's done and finding a way to incorporate that into my evaluation. And Wicks was a guy that, um, look, after watching his game, Adam, I wouldn't be surprised if Christian Watson fails or Romeo Dubs falters. One of those two outside guys falters. Wicks could fit that role of the number two because he's a he's a rugged at the catch point specialist who does a really good job working in breaking routes and getting yards after the catch. So he's he's kind of an Antonio old style Antonio Freeman type of receiver, not super fast but can get downfield and win the trust throws and also get open in he's quick enough and physical enough to get separation early and then make you pay for it after the catch. Um, so he's a really fun player and to see him really, in, you know, at 103.7, slightly above average is a uh, very encouraging considering he was the third receiver or the fourth receiver in this outfit, depending on when, when, Watson was healthy. Yeah, and his profile is kind of the inverse of Michael Wilson, um, where he had one of the lowest participation rates in the class um, in terms of usage, uh, but he actually ranked fifth in the class in terms of efficiency behind, I mean, you could probably guess the four names if you thought about it for a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was ahead of, in terms of like per route production, he was ahead of Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison. Um, the, the thing I love the most, um, given how much discussion is is devoted to them. The player directly above him is Deontay Johnson, and the player directly below him is George Pickens, um, <laughs> who I think are like the most discussed, most debated <laughs> dynasty receivers 
and I just love that like that's the trio. That's like my favorite three sequential names in the list is Deontay Johnson, um, Dontavian Wicks, George Pickens. And it, it does highlight too that like the model's not really estimating style of play because stylistically these are all very, yes. very different receivers. Um, it's just trying to estimate quality of play um, and especially quality of play in a way that translates to future expectations. Yeah, and I think that Wicks is... Would you agree that when you look at Wicks's position on this list, he's the guy that you say, you know, where I would be trying to get, you know, I, I was thinking I'd want Jalen Hyatt or Cedric Tillman as an add-in, you know, on a deal, but I don't want to overpay now. You you almost are like, you almost want to, there are certain people where if you would go negotiate a deal and you'd say, can you throw in Jalen Hyatt? And they're like, no, I want to keep him. You go, well, I'll settle for Dontavian Wicks on your roster. And they'll be like, yeah, sure. You know, I think that's the kind of situation where like you almost like can set up somebody to, to, for a player that people are going to overrate like Hyatt maybe and say year two is going to be it, you know, based on the narratives of quarterback and offense and changeovers and things like that and draft capital. And then you can say, what I'm really trying to do is set him up so that I can pivot and get me some Dontavian Wicks at a, at a discount. Um, I think Wicks is one of the first guys on this list um, who I would like trade for as a target. Like, not, I'm not trying to get him as a throw-in, or I'm not like, oh, there's like three players on your roster that I like. Um, I don't know that I'm quite there yet. Like, I'm not going to be yeah. like, hey, I want Dontavian Wicks. I'm going to make an offer for Dontavian right. Wicks. But I think we're in the territory where you're like, I've got two or three guys I like on your roster, and Wicks is one of them. And it's not he's not like an afterthought to the trade. He's, he's a part of it. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any question in terms of model score versus market cost that Wicks is the guy who jumps out as, as the biggest buy recommendation by the model. Because, like, obviously, Puka Nakua, no spoilers here, is going to score very highly in the model despite being a late draft pick. But like Puka Nakua, I would say, is a little underrated by the market, but he's still rated very highly. Um, whereas Dontavian Wicks, now we're getting into the territory where like successes are not uncommon or surprising, and yet he's being valued in the like throw-in territory. Yeah, and, and this is going to be a fun one because the next tier of guys, I'm putting it in based on the color coding here, We'll say, you know, Jordan Addison, 107.6, Zay Flowers, 110.4, Jaden Reed, 111.2. And when I look at Jordan Addison, I had a laugh because just like I mentioned this off the cuff about um, Josh Downs and Sterling Shepard, my comp for Jordan Addison was T.Y. Hilton. And T.Y. Hilton and him are literally like next to each other on your model in terms of their score. Um you know, certainly a guy that, you know, is he going to be a superstar? Probably not. Is he going to have some borderline wide receiver one seasons? I think there's some promise there that that could happen. Yeah, and and now we're getting into the range. There, there's kind of a big jump between where Wicks was and where Addison was. Um, I think now we're kind of getting into the range where, like, before... I'm saying like, oh, it's not surprising if we get some hits in this range. Now I'm more, I would couch that more as like, oh, it's not too surprising if we get some misses in the range. But I think like hits should be more the expectation. We're, we're definitely getting more hits than misses at a score of, of uh, Addison's at a 107.6. 
Uh, the five guys above them, Torrey Smith, Santonio Holmes, Denarius Moore, Calvin Ridley, T.Y. Hilton. Um, I would say that's three and a half or four hits. Uh, the guys below them, Christian Kirk, Jordan Matthews, Michael Crabtree, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Anthony Gonzalez. I'd say that's like three solid hits. Um, you know, with like some some high end production from Amon Ra, T.Y. Hilton. Like this is a very solid comp pool where we're getting more hits than misses. Um, I don't like if we're if we're talking about like at current market prices. I don't love Jordan Addison, but if you know, like I were part of some alien race and I descended on Earth and all I saw was the model, I would say like, yeah, Jordan Addison is definitely a guy worth having on your roster in Dynasty. And if you already have him, I wouldn't be opposed to exploring selling given what what some people have been able to fetch for him but but you have yeah. to feel good about how he did as a rookie yeah i would have to think if kirk cousins leaves the market may dry up a little bit until draft time maybe you know um zay flowers you know listen love the player love the potential he and lamar jackson may have on the same token i would say relative to the rest of the players who are higher on the board and We'll just give it away. Reed, Rishi Rice, Tank Dell, Puka Nakua. Maybe I would still value Flowers over Rishi Rice. Maybe. Um, but when I look at Flowers on this list, I just wonder how much Lamar Jackson's game is going to improve on the outside. Now, I've, I've seen some data, or someone pointed out on Twitter recently when I mentioned this before, that that Lamar Jackson's numbers look really good on perimeter throws this year. Um, but I'm asked what depth and I think what I got was like promising, but maybe not fully complete. So I, I'd have to go back and look at that, but I have minor concerns about Zay flowers, but not, not enough for me to like veer from the idea that he's someone I need to have on my roster. And if I can get a good deal for him, I'm going to do it. Yeah, like if Addison was in like a 60 to 65% hit range, Flowers now are more into like 80% hit territory. Yeah. Like this is very promising. Like the, the evidence is that Flowers is probably going to be a very good, if not great, wide receiver. Um, his efficiency is not really what people would think it would be. Like he's more slightly above average on efficiency um, and he's getting pulled up just by, by having a ton of usage. Um, uh, I think revisiting, we had the Drake London versus Zay Flowers discussion early in the year where I, I begged people, please don't trade Drake London for Zay Flowers. Um, I think the market on them, I haven't checked in a little bit, the market on them probably has them really close or maybe Flowers slightly ahead. Um, after seeing the whole year, uh, there's no question to me that London had the more impressive rookie year. Um, and London is, I believe he's, I think he's like six months younger still. Um, so I'm still on the London side of it. Now that we have a larger sample, I'm a bit more confident in Zay Flowers where sure. I'm not going to be like, it's a complete mistake to trade London for Flowers. I, I yeah. think the risk it has been reduced. The downside risk um, is largely um, reduced. But um, he was he's a very good rookie season, maybe not quite as good as the hype. Um, but it would not surprise me at all if he did, if it turned out that, that his supporters were absolutely right and he did wind up becoming like a top 10 dynasty wide receiver. Well, the three best players after the catch in this draft, if you ask me, that were, that were um, wide receivers were Zay Flowers, Tank Dell, and Jaden Reed. And Jaden Reed 
was one of my three biggest post-draft values in the rookie scouting portfolio where I do the rankings with tiers and I rank and tier over 200 players and and I take their draft their their ranking that I re-rank based on where they where they got drafted and who they got signed by and look at ADP for drafts in May and and these are usually you know obviously drafts in August are different than drafts in May but still um, I look at those drafts and at ADP and I come up with a value that says is this player you know plus or minus overrated or underrated compared to their ADP so I give you kind of like a window of value to say look if you if you think like me that Nick Chubb is the best running back in this class, draft class but he's got a late second round ADP then that means that you can either take the risk and wait till late second round and hope you, you get him or based on the number I'm giving you you can get value at him at say you know mid second round you know or even early second round if you really believe and still wind up with a player who is going to exceed expectations even if you pay a little higher than the ADP market rate so that you make sure that you get him so Jaden Reed Puka Nakua were two of my three um, biggest draft day values in rookie drafts last year in the top two tiers of third top 36 players put it that way Reed third receiver really to begin the year you would have thought but now really when you look at what he did and then there's the element that I know you're going to talk about is the fact that he can run and that they used him in a Debo Samuel-esque sort of way in some regards you know really added to his value but to me I thought Jaden Reed was like a Stefan Diggs starter kit but he has that running ability too and he may I thought there was a chance he could be the best receiver on this team within a year or two it's looking like he's trending that way yeah for sure he only scores a tiny bit higher than flowers um I would prefer him to flowers straight up yep um I kind of wavered back and forth on that but I'm, I'm kind of coalescing on like yeah I think I would prefer Reed flowers straight up and then especially considering the relative market on both um, you know, Flowers is not really a compelling buy to me. He might even be a bit of a sell. Um, but Reed, um, if Wicks is not the biggest buy in this class, it might be Reed, um, just given where he is. And 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 you mentioned the rushing. Um, this score does not include rushing. I quickly looked because I was surprised he actually ranked as low as he did. He's not low by any stretch. He's 32nd out of like 190, 100, 200 qualifiers. Um, I was expecting him to show up much higher, and and I think a lot of that is because I'm mentally considering his rushing as well. And so I quickly looked at all the rookies since 2006 who got like 40 targets and 60 rushing yards. Um, and Flowers, I, I have to say, he just miss, missed that cut. I think he rushed for 58 yards, um, whereas Reed was solidly, solidly above it. I think he had about 120 rushing yards and two more rushing touchdowns. Um, Reed did and it, it, there's a lot of like really great wide receivers on there CD Lamb shows up on there Debo Samuel um, Percy Harvin and so I do think the fact that he was as involved in the running game 
um, is probably a positive signal above and beyond his model score, um, which, yeah, again, to put some context, here's the five guys. Here's everybody from 33 to 40 in the model, um, which will be the five guys above Reed and the five guys below Flowers and the guys in between. So that would be Debo Samuel, uh, which is interesting to, show, to see him show up so close to Reed, given how similar qualitatively their seasons were as rookies um, stylistically. Uh, but Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, which is another fun pairing seeing those guys back to back, Amari Cooper, Marquise Brown, Jalen Waddell, Dwayne Bowe, Doug Baldwin, Garrett Wilson, Sammy Watkins, Eddie Royal, Tyreek Hill, and Chase Claypool. And so you can see, like, this range, that's almost all hits. Yeah. Um, obviously, Chase Claypool is not looking like he's going to be a hit at this point. He's on his third team in the last two years. Uh, Eddie Royal never really lived up to that rookie season again. Sammy Watkins is firmly in its complicated territory. Um, <laughs> the most complicated wide receiver prospect in history. Absolutely. But other than that, like the fourth worst player on that list of um, 12 players, uh, probably Marquise Brown, who's been, you know, like he's perennially underrated. He's been a solid fantasy wide receiver, too, for years, um, although obviously had a down year this year. We'll see how he does next year with with um, uh, uh, Murray, presumably healthy for the full year, um, you know, maybe Dwayne Bowe, but Dwayne Bowe had a lot of good seasons. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like... Um, Doug Baldwin and Tyreek Hill uh, were probably surprising. Um, like, I don't think people felt like their rookie years were as good as they were. And they went on to become like really, really strong, high-end, long-term starters in Dynasty Leagues. Um, Ayuk uh, kind of teased for a bit, but this year he finally went supernova. Now he's valued as like a top 12 Dynasty receiver. Uh, Debo um, had a very, you know, unique profile. Um, and he, you know, he's also turned into like a long-term fantasy star. Um, these are guys where I think the expectation should be they're probably going to be three, four, five-year starters um, and, and, and solid starters, wide receiver twos or wide receiver ones. Um, I think that outcome at this point is more likely than not, given their profile. Man, let me tell you, before we get into the top three, just mentioning Sammy Watkins. If I needed, if I needed to go to therapy it, and for for football, just Sammy Watkins would probably be a whole session. You, you know, let me tell you about my relationship with Sammy Watkins. Would probably be would begin the session. Um, well, if we're talking Watkins, I will go to my grave contending that Sammy Watkins' 2015 season was nearly as good as Odell Beckham's 2014 season. Um, that famous, if you adjust for like, because New York was one of the past happiest teams in the league. Uh, Buffalo was one of the least pass happy teams in the league. And the first half of the season was kind of a washout for Watkins. He was hurt, he was hurt, he was hurt. And then he finally got healthy and he came back those nine games. And he accounted for like 50% of Buffalo's passing yards. He had a game where like Buffalo threw for, I think he had like more, um, receiving yards than Buffalo had net passing yards once you factored in the sacks. Like he was literally more than 100% of Buffalo's passing game. And I, I mean, I thought that Sammy Watkins, everything about Sammy Watkins screamed that like this guy's going to be a superstar. And it just, it, it didn't work out. 
So I would be on the couch there with you. If yeah. we did group sessions um, to, to get a discount, I would be interested in going in on that. Uh, well, I'll look into that for that. Absolutely. So our top three, Reishi Rice, Tank Dell, and Puka Nakua. When I look at Reishi Rice, you know, Matt Harmon said something that echoed my sentiments. And I'm going to say this right now. I joke with Matt Harmon on Instagram because he did a far better, he, everything he does is far better production value than what I do. Um, you know, so, but his, did a, he did a great production value version of why Bill Belichick and the Patriots should pay me $300,000 to tell them how to, to draft wide receivers. And so I joked with him that he stole my bit, you know, and I, and I said it, he knows it's humor when I say that, but I'm like, you stole my bit. And he said that he would await a letter from my lawyer. Um, so, you know, that said, he also, I would say he didn't steal my bit on this one. He more echoed my inner sentiments on this one, which is that I did not state, which is Rishi Rice to me was a different receiver in terms of how he was used in Kansas City this year than the role that he was projected for coming out of the draft at SMU. And I think he's on a lot more manufactured touches in terms of screen plays, things reserved that they thought Sky Moore and, and Kadarius Tony were going to do, somebody that they were going to throw up on the wall and see who's stuck. And it turned out to be Rishi Rice in this instance. Um, I'm not sure if there's a player out of the top, you know, six, Nakua Dell, Rice, Reed, Flowers, Addison. I would probably say... Rice is the one I feel the least confident in of those scores. But because he has that score, it's one of those things where I'm definitely going to be digging into his tape in the offseason and going, okay, is there anything that says this is unsustainable? Um, or is it time for me to get over what I saw on tape at SMU and accept the fact that he's really good? Profile-wise... You can, if you look at it, um, you can make the case that like it's it's somewhat similar to Christian Watson last year, where it's just this insane, insane hyper efficiency. Um, I think he's probably in the top ten for the touchdown adjusted yards per route run. Let's see, I got one, two, three, four, five, uh, six guys I see have a higher touchdown adjusted yards per route run since two thousand six. Um, and Christian Watson is one of them. He, he finished just ahead. Um, I, I was saying, people were asking about Rice um, about a month ago, and I was saying, like, right now he looks like Christian Watson. He's got about the same route rate Christian Watson had last year. He's got about the same efficiency Christian Watson had right year. Um, last year, um, he was used slightly more over the last month, and he performed slightly better over the last month, and so that bumped him ahead of Christian Watson at the last minute. Um, but a lot of the same concerns exist, I would say. If, if you wanted to make the downside case for Rashi Rice, um, you could mention Christian Watson. But we discussed Watson last year, and, and you can't, like, cherry pick. Yeah. Like, yeah, the comps for that Rashi Rice, Christian Watson, um, you know, in terms of usage and efficiency, like, there are some negative comps there. You could mention Anthony Gonzalez and... and Gonzalez has another case where, like, he was playing with a Hall of Fame caliber wide receiver, uh, a quarterback, 
as a rookie who made everybody around him hyper-efficient, and he didn't get on the field much, but when he was on the field, he was used in a very specific way that highlighted his strengths, he, and he didn't need to be a complete player. And um, and so that's why Anthony Gonzalez looked so good. Um, but other guys who make that list, who, who have that similar like low usage, high efficiency, Tyreek Hill, Percy Harvin, Chris Godwin. So there are some really, really, really strong positive comps, and there are some really, really concerning negative comps. It's a very high variance profile, but on the whole, I think it's a, it's a very positive one. Um, so I agree that if you told me one of these top five guys um, was going to turn out to be a bust, I would bet on Bryce. But also, if you told me one of these top five guys was going to turn out to be a perennial 1,500-yard-per-season receiver, you know, the next Tyreek Hill, um, I would probably bet on Puka or Tank first, but I would I think Rice is more likely to be that guy than, say, Flowers or Reed are, too. It's, it's a very high-variance profile. Um, in terms of clustering and where I draw boundaries, I would lump Rice more in with Reed and Flowers um, in that, like, very, very, very good rookie season. Um, whereas the next two guys, I would do one tier above and two tiers above. Um, I know just looking at the score, he's probably closer to Dell than he is to Reed. Um, no, he actually checks in a, a hair closer to Reed than he does to Dell. But just in terms of where I would draw the boundaries, he's kind of towards the upper limit of that very, 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 very good rookie season. Um, and if you want, I'll, I'll do the same, like the five names above and the five names below. Sure. Like if you want the argument against Rishi Rice, the five names above are Mike Williams uh, from Tampa, who we mentioned earlier, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kelvin Benjamin, Hakeem Nix, and Michael Thomas, um, where like obviously Thomas was a superstar, Nix got hurt, it's complicated. And the other three guys were, you know, they were solid, but they weren't anything to write home about. So if you wanted to make the negative case for Rashi Rice, those are the comps you want to use. And if you want to make the positive case for Rishi Rice, the five guys below him are Stefan Diggs, Percy Harvin, Cooper Cup, <laughs> Christian Watson, and Devontae Smith. Nice so, list. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a range that produces a lot of really, really productive players. And I get the hesitation, and I think there's some really valid concerns. Um, but on the whole, this is the type of player who you want to be invested in because the rewards are so wildly disproportionate. So it's funny because looking at my list from the post draft of like where I had guys over underrated, I had Puka Nakua's underrated by 14 draft spots. I had him and I had him at 31st at the end of my second tier. So it wasn't like I'm sitting here telling you, go get Puka Nakua. He's the Nick Chubb of running of wide receivers. That's not, that wasn't that kind of hit, but it was a guy that I said, look, if, if you're at the at the end of the third round, you could get. I wouldn't argue with you for taking Puka Nakua. You can actually get him at the end of the fourth round and still get value from that pick. Um, so that's an example of you know again for the RSP post draft why I do what I do. The other guy, Jaden Reed, I had him 14th. I thought he was underrated by eight draft spots. So you could probably get him at the end of the second round as opposed to the early second round if you wanted to trade down and get him. Um, Marvin Mims I had under, underrated by a, a few picks as the 13th receiver. That hasn't worked out early on so far. Um, 
Michael Wilson underrated by two spots at 29th. So he was at where about on par with his draft spot. Tank Dell I had on par as basically you can get him at the early third round. Um, you know, Keishon Butte, I really messed I you know, I messed on that one so far. I had him underrated as by about seven spots as the nineteenth receiver or the nineteenth pick off the board. Um, you know, and I'd say my my worst call was Rishi Rice. I was over. I thought he was overrated by 19th draft spots, um, and I put him, you know, at 44th on my board of players. Um, so like a, a late fourth round pick for for Rishi Rice, and you know he was in ranked in, around, you know Parker Washington, Andre Yosivas, Justin Shorter, and Charlie Jones. Um, so yeah, I'm. I want to look and see how sustainable that is, but I, I certainly got to look at that and say he he certainly outplayed that and got the role that was great for it. Now, you know, Dell, you know, I'm with you that Dell and Dell probably belongs in that that tier, you know, where you got Rice belongs in the tier with, with Reed, even in usage-wise, manufactured touches. You know, runs are manufactured touches to some extent for wide receivers. So with Reed getting that, Rishi Rice probably belongs there. But Dell was fascinating because the only real knock on Dell from a qualitative standpoint was size. Like, is he is he big enough? He played big. He he had some catch issues, a little bit in terms of attack. But look, you know, he played great when he was on the field, and it, it definitely shows. So he and Nakua. You know, Nakua, you know, those those two guys, I mean, it sounds to me like those are guys that you feel like they're set it and forget it dynasty options. If I were drawing boundaries in my model, um, which not always the best practice, that this is a continuous variable where like more is always better. But if I were to like group people into buckets, I would say that a score between 110 and 117 is like, this is like, this is a very, very good rookie season and the expectation should be long-term fantasy starter um, and that spans from Garrett Wilson scored a 110 Drake London scored a uh, 116.9 um, and then Flowers, Reed, and Rice are all going to be in that bucket with a lot of the names I mentioned as their comparable players um, and then the next bucket I would draw there's actually a big gap after London at 116.9 uh, the next name is at 118.5 and between uh, like 118 and 123, this is the bucket I would call the fantastic rookie season. Like, like just legitimately like electric. Um, and I, I would never say can't miss territory, but like this is the area where I would be extremely surprised if we just wound up with like an outright bust, an outright miss. And here's the names in that range. Um, Mike Evans, 122.4. Chris Olave, 121.6. Marques Colston, 120.6. Terry McLaurin, 120.1. AJ Green, 119.1. Keenan Allen, 118.6. Julio Jones, 118.5. So historically, it hasn't missed. The closest thing to a miss in there is Terry McLaurin, um, who's put up a lot of really strong fantasy seasons. 
Um, he like he's kind of tailed off in recent years. We'll see if Washington ever gets a quarterback. I know that's been the hope for like his entire career. Um, but like he was among the league leaders in receiving yardage through X games um, for like the first three years of his career before he started slowing down uh, a little bit off the pace. Not not through any fault of his own, but just because of quarterback play. And that's like the downside in this bucket is Terry McLaurin. Other than that, like every single one of those guys was like multiple, multiple top 15 fantasy seasons. Um, obviously, Olave is still pending, but like certainly trending in that direction. This is a range where like there just haven't been misses here. And, and there's upside. Like it's not that they're all solid. Like Julio Jones, one of the most valuable fantasy receivers of all time. Um, AJ Green, like a, a, a perennial all pro contender. Um, Keenan Allen like is still going strong um so tank dell's in that bucket and naively just looking at i like him less than a lot of players in that bucket for reasons we discussed um i believe last week um just in terms of like i think nico collins is doing more of the dirty work in that offense i do have some concerns about his size um and and how he's going to hold up and um but but the results, I don't think there's really any way to, to, to argue that, like, we should not be, be super high on Tank Dell and his prospects. Just just the historical comparable players is is pretty much bulletproof. Yeah. No. Well, listen, you know, this was an awesome show. We appreciate you being able to. My dog's applauding, I, I, I believe, you know, so. But and as a box safety, I think he doesn't want to have to cover any of these these options. No, you want to do? We'll do. I mean, there's not much that needs to be said, Puka. But uh, the, I think the one question I had about Puka was yeah. there was always a big four rookie receivers: Odell Beckham, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown. And the question was whether Puka would be able to join that big four. Um, if you were wondering, like, yeah, to me, there's no question. Um, so I mentioned Evans was at a 122.4. Um, Puka is at 126.1. He's like an entire tier above. He's at the bottom of that, but I, at this point, I'm good calling. I'm saying we've moved from a big four to a big five. Um, just in terms of production and profile, you don't need me to tell you. Puka Nakua's rookie year was absolutely bulletproof. Yeah, yeah. So awesome stuff. You know, you can find more of this at Adam's Column at Football Guys. Um, you know, obviously we appreciate you going into depth with this and getting a, a chance to just kind of discuss it from all different angles and, uh, you know, tune in next week. We'll be doing this during the off season. We may have some weeks off in between here. I, there is a month that doesn't exist for me on the calendar. Um, so that may be, you know, that may happen sometime in after February and before April. Um, but thank you again and, uh, have a good week.